This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Jack Foster and Ryan Jumper. All right, everybody. Hello and welcome into the Rocky Top Insider special edition press pass. I'm your host, Jack Foster, joined by my friend Ryan Shumper. Today we're going to be talking some Tennessee baseball, as we often do on the special edition podcast. Ryan, it is a beautiful Tuesday, Knoxville afternoon, and how are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Glad to get back on here, and uh, obviously plenty to talk about, especially for early season. Uh, you know, usually still to talk about, but not the most pressing, and a little bit more with all the... Uh, off-the-field drama and some stuff finally getting resolved for Tennessee. Absolutely, and yesterday was a big day for Tennessee baseball as now Maui Yahuna is eligible for the 2023 season. I mean, great news considering we didn't really know what was going to end up happening with this situation. I mean, we were I feel like everyone was pretty much in the dark until Monday, which was yesterday, and now Maui Yahuna full go for Tennessee and Tony Vitello as well. Um, I don't really know if there was much doubt going into if his suspension was going to extend past the Dayton series or anything like that. But regardless, the whole gang's back together. Yeah, whole gang's back together. And, you know, it was, you're right. The, the Maliahuna, there was some, I think, real doubt originally whether he would get eligible. And then I think there was some uh, gaining positivity or optimism, I guess would be the right word from Tennessee's side of things, that he was going to get eligible. They thought they would hear a word late last week before the Dayton series. Obviously, they didn't end up getting word before the Dayton series, but they get it on Monday. And after eight games, I guess, you know, it ends up being in not really a suspension, but an eight-game absence for Malia Huna to start his Tennessee tenure. And he'll be back on the field uh, this evening as the Vols take on Charleston Southern. Or on the field, I guess, not back. Right, yeah, exactly. For, uh, obviously, Tennessee debut he's going to make tonight against Charleston Southern. And, you know, let's talk about this. We talked in our season preview about what Mally brings to the table, how – you know, batted almost 400 last year. Obviously, a great defensive shortstop. Let's kind of refresh um, what we talked about in the preview. Just what is Tennessee getting in Maui Ahuna, and how is he, from what you've seen so far from Tennessee, how is he going to help them? Well, for one, is a, a really good defensive bat, or excuse me, defensive shortstop. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, that's where he's just elite and really, really good there. And I think Austin Joslov was pretty solid there and certainly wasn't a weakness defensively by any means. And then... On the bat side of things, the numbers were really impressive at Kansas last season. I think 396, eight home runs, somewhere like 24, 26 extra base hits, ton of extra base hits. I don't think you'll see it to that level, but he's certainly a better bat than uh, Jazlov, who was hitting just 217. And, you know, I was kind of starting to hit a little bit better as he got more comfortable. But still, Malyahuna, it's a, it's a big upgrade there. I expect him to be near the top of Tennessee's order. He could find himself in the middle of it in like the five spot, but I think most likely you'll see him at the two in the two hole. Uh, I kind of like him personally hitting leadoff uh, over Jared Dickey. Well, my thing about Jared Dickey because I think he's a, Jared Dickey's a great leadoff hitter in the sense that he's good at making contact, even though he struck out more this season or he's striking out at a much higher rate this season than he did last year. Mm-hmm. Still a good contact hitter, great at getting on base, but Dickey's not very fast. Yeah. And not that Ahuna is, he's not like super fast either. It's not by any means Seth Stevenson or anything like that. But I think he gives uh, a little bit more speed to that spot. And we've already seen a couple times this year where, you know, Dickey's on second in the first inning and it's a single. You want to score there and he's gotten thrown out one time. He, a couple close calls. That's a couple close calls. Way. Yeah, I don't understand how they overturned that call in game one. Was uh, that the, the Alabama AM or was that Dayton? Game one I think Dayton. that was game one. Okay. Dayton. Uh, 
I was stunned that they overturned that. Like it, it made no. He looked like it looked like it could be overturned if he was called safe. Like he looked obviously out to me. But Una is a big swing and miss guy, so it's kind of positives and downsides with you know where he could hit. So I, I think you'll probably see him today in the start season. Well, the start season for him in the two spot, but he's going to be uh, one of Tennessee's main bats, and, and certainly he's going to be elite defensively and uh, provides a boost for Tennessee's defense up the middle. Yeah, and you. Uh, Obviously, the defensive presence is there, and you know, like you said, Jazlov done a great job, but just Ahuna is elite in that category. But I want to talk more about where he's going to fit in with the hitting lineup. You mentioned you liked him leadoff. Why not third? That's where he batted at Kansas, and Christian Moore has kind of done well in that second role. I think he has the most walks on the team by like a few. So just Christian Moore done a great job getting on bases. My point, Jared Dickey, one of the best contact hitters on the team. Why not Ahuna third? That's a good question, and. You know, I think he could, but I don't think he has quite the power uh, of what they would want in the third spot. And, you know, that doesn't mean you can't do it. I do also wonder, you look at, and this is going to be a question wherever he is, if it's at the top of the, in the top couple spots in the lineup, is another left-handed bat. Yeah. A lot of lefties. Jared Dickey lefty. Yeah, Blake Burke lefty. Uh, Zane Ditton's obviously a switch hitter. Blake Burke lefty. Blake Burke lefty. So, it's going to be interesting to me to see how they situate or how they kind of situate that. I wouldn't say he can't hit three. You know, I just haven't seen him in any Tennessee scrimmages in the fall or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He never hit third. And I don't think he has, has the power uh, that some of those guys in the middle of Tennessee's lineup has. But that doesn't mean, you know, there can't be some tinkering and he, he might not get some looks there. But regardless, if he's first, second, or third, do you expect Blake Burke to move to cleanup? That's a good question. Yeah. I guess so. I guess I would say yes, just because you're not going to go lefty, lefty, lefty to start things off. Yeah. But I don't think Christian Moore is like a natural three hitter either. So maybe you move him down. Yeah, maybe you oh, move the top him, four. Maybe you move him down, but again, it's just hard to think you're going to go lefty, lefty, lefty. Yeah. That's you know that makes things easier on a, on opposing opposing coaches of trying to put in a relief. But again, it's just a ton of lefties in the lineup, so you're just naturally going to have a good bit of them, and it'll be interesting to see. Again, as the season goes on, how much Tennessee just embraces that at the top of the lineup? Because, I mean, they're, most are best hitters. Besides Christian lefties. Moore and Griffin Merritt are, are lefties, or at least Zane Denton's a switch hitter. So I'll be interested to see, like I said, how much Vitello just embraces that and says, all right, this is kind of the reality. Guys at the top, you, you're just going to have to be able to hit lefties. Certainly Blake Burke's really good there. Uh, Jared Dickey's pretty solid hitting lefties as well, or, or how much he'll maybe write out the lineup card and, and try to avoid that. Well, it looks like now Tennessee has a stud top six when you include Ahuna because you got the four we've mentioned, the three lefties and more at the top four, and then Zane didn't switch hitter and Griffin Merritt. And then you can even extend it if Cal Starks back continues to heat up as DH or catcher at seven. So those seven spots, studly. Yeah, I don't even know if I'd quite go studly. Maybe that's just because I'm so used to watching what Tennessee had last year, which was... Yeah, but like... I don't know. You know Griffin Merritt's going to get better. Oh, yeah. And yeah, you yeah. know what Zane I'm not worried about today. Griffin Merritt's numbers by any means. Yeah. I don't so, think... so what's the weakest spot in your mind? Why is it not a stud seven? Well, I think it's a good seven, first of all. I think you feel really good about it. But I don't think Zane Denton is an elite bat. And, frankly, I need to see Christian Moore prove to me that he's an elite bat. I just don't have Fair. question marks. You know, there's, there's tons of talent there. Don't get me wrong. It's good. You feel a lot better about it. But it's not... Drew Gilbert, Jordan right. Beck, Trey Lipscomb. Yeah, maybe Stud's too strong of a word. Yeah. You're okay, I got you. But but definitely really definitely really solid. You feel really good about it, and certainly I think Maui back in the lineup 
obviously getting Griffin Merritt back in the lineup, which you know they had after the first two games, and him getting his feet wet a little bit, you feel a lot, yep. a lot better, a lot better about the lineup. I do think maybe in these first two midweek games, you know, Smiley Huna gets his feet wet with the season, he may not bat in the top four, just to you know slowly work him in, kind of like we saw Griffin Merritt not start in the outfield. Yeah, and I think he batted seventh in his first game or something like that. So you know maybe we could see that. So th- it, I'm what I'm saying is, is if you see Mally Huna batting seventh tonight or tomorrow or sixth, I don't think it's gonna stay. It's just working him slowly in. And I do want to give props to Josh Elander, who is now eight no as a head coach, um, well acting head coach for Tennessee. Um, but now Tony Vitello will return to the helm as his suspension is over. And, Ryan, what do you say we uh, look back at the Dayton series and talk about it? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so my big takeaway from the Dayton series, 12-2, 4-1, Great weekend for Tennessee baseball, but the pitching was elite. Phenomenal. Chase Dolander, kind of shades of opening weekend where he had maybe a rocky first inning, but definitely I thought was better than his performance against Arizona. Settled in nicely, throwing double-digit strikeouts was just the Chase Dolander we all know. And then after that, A.J. Russell, man, freshman, coming out and dealing. Sat down all seven batters, didn't allow a base runner, struck out five of seven. I think those five strikeouts all came in a row, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, you know, we talked kind of early season about, you know, maybe who's going to be one of these young guys, one of these young arms from the bullpen. These guys were not talking about a whole lot to rise up. Maybe it's A.J. Russell getting getting the relief appearance there on a Friday and doing well. Yeah, certainly. To me, that was... Maybe my biggest takeaway from maybe last week as a whole, not just Dayton, because he pitched really well against Alabama A&M. Mm-hmm. And Tony Vitello had some, you know, really positive, you know, words to say about him. You know, he just makes you feel comfortable when you're out there. And if that Dayton game on Friday was closer, do I think A.J. Russell is the first one out of the bullpen? No. But to me, that was still telling that that was even an option and that he was one of the guys that they were going to make sure got weekend innings. So, yeah, to me, that's a fascinating development. He was not a very highly touted recruit. Um, he has added in the baseball recruiting scheme of things pretty late in the process, which is still <laughs> still about 18 months before he stepped on campus. So it's not really doesn't feel that late. But in baseball recruiting, so much of that's done so early that it was kind of late. So he's been really good. Six six fastball was sitting 92 93. I think it even touched 94 at one point in Friday's game. As uh, off speed stuff looked good. So to me, when you look at some of the early season storylines in the bullpen or even with the pitching staff as a whole because I'm not surprised by what you'd expect the starters to be really good like they have like when they're facing Dayton um, but to me one of the biggest storylines is how good AJ Russell has been and does that conti- does he force Tennessee to carve out a role for him in, in the weekend and I mean he's he's been pretty dominant so far it's Dayton and Alabama A&M it's not Super high leverage opportunities. It's not super good teams. It's a yeah. 65% full Lindsey Nelson Stadium. So we'll see what it looks like for a freshman when he gets into kind of the heat of things in SEC play. But you really can't ask for any more at this point. And I think there certainly is real signs that he could be a piece, a, a serious piece of this bullpen. Yeah, he came out with two outs and one on after uh, hit by pitch. You know, that was how a base runner got on there in the top of the sixth against Dayton. Tennessee was leading um nine to two at that point yeah nine to two so as you said game was already out of hand it was easy easier decision to go to a freshman there maybe rather than like a Saturday game that we saw with the four to one score you know yeah maybe we would have seen another pitcher and we saw Halverson be the first one out against Arizona the week before so it seems like he is 
If it's going to be a close game, he's going to be, at least with Camden Sewell's sideline, if it's a close game, he's going to be the first guy out of the bullpen to start the weekend. Absolutely. And let's move on to Saturday. Any any comments on Chase Dolander before we move on from Friday pitching? Not really. I mean, I guess my comment, and I had this in my Tennessee baseball notebook at the end of the weekend, um, you know, he's given up, he's looked good. He's given up four earned runs and two starts. Not worried about the numbers, but when you look at it, Tennessee's pitchers have given up nine earned runs this, no, not even nine earned, just nine runs this season. Mm-hmm. And Chase Dolander's given up four of them. The guy that's yeah. going to go in the top three at MLB draft. So not that that worries me about Dolander by any means, but that just shows how good the rest of Tennessee's pitching is, that, or how good the bullpen's been maybe, because, again, we're not s- surprised by what the starters have done being good. But Yeah, the rest of the, you know, Beam and Burns, what they've done, the rest of the bullpen, they, they make Dolander's numbers look worse, right? Yes. It's like, I mean, oh, he's wow. given up, what, like 45% of the runs on the season, <laughs> exactly. whatever the math would be there, and – but when you when you take everything out of consideration and just look at Dolander's numbers, they're great. Yeah, he hasn't been as crisp as you know you'd expect him to be by the end of the season. But again, I haven't seen a single thing that makes me worried that Chase Dolander is not going to be the same guy that was a first team All American last year and the SEC pitcher of the year. Well, and three of his four earned runs he's given up have come in the first inning. Yeah. So, and then the fourth earned run was just a leadoff homer in the second. I think he sat down like eleven straight after that against yeah. Arizona. So. Hey, if he's had these rocky starts, he's very quickly settled in and just dominated for multiple innings after that. And his starts have been five-plus innings both times. So I don't think there's anything to worry about with Chase Dolander. Moving on to Saturday, Chase Burns, one of his best starts in a Tennessee uniform, career-high 12 strikeouts. I mean, this guy, I know you weren't you weren't at the game because you were preparing for Tennessee-South Carolina basketball, but, man, Chase Burns, I, he's so impressive. One of the most impressive parts about this weekend maybe the most impressive yeah I mean he his numbers again I didn't I watched a little bit of it but kind of not intently watching it but he looked really good and I think one thing that maybe stands out to me and I haven't even asked anybody about this talked to anybody about this but it seems like he's really slimmed down like he Mm. physically looks a a lot different than he did last year and I think you're just seeing a more confident Chase Burns a guy that has done it for a year now and, and it has his feet wet and is ready to go out and try to be even better than he was last year. So really dominant outing, I guess, beside – again, I didn't watch the game super, super closely. I mean, I can't, I can't remember when I was like, oh, wow, Chase Burns did that. Like, he, he walked three, but so did Beam. Like, it's just going to happen. And yeah. what, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, yeah, I, my my biggest takeaways from that game was Halverson being really good again and how awful the Dayton uniforms were. Was that the red on red? That was the red on red. <laughs> I don't know who thought the red pants were a good idea at Dayton. I honestly don't didn't mind it. I like I like the color red too. <laughs> and it was just so much. It was so much red. It would have yeah. looked good with gray pants. The the red pants was just way yeah, too. They much. were bright. They were bright on Saturday night, that's for sure. But yeah, you mentioned Seth Halverson coming in and just was phenomenal. A three pitch ninth inning, by the way. One, wow. two, three, three inning pitches. in the ninth to close it out with three pitches. And we asked him post game. And he said he's never done it before. Not that not that he knows of anyway. Not even in high school. He's like, that's got to be a first. Well, he was in his last year at Missouri. I mean, he's probably averaging about 25 pitches in an inning with his inability to throw strikes. So that's uh, – I mean, that, that brings me to like, the most positive thing about Seth Halverson is we knew his stuff and his fastball was really good. It, and yeah. that's what was so exciting about him when Tennessee got him back before last season was if you're going to pitch Frank Anderson, you're going to throw strikes. Like that's Tennessee's identity as a pitching staff is pounding the strike zone. And the fact that he, one, just gained the confidence to be 
at the start of the season with Camden Sewell out, but at the start of the season, the number one guy at the bullpen, you knew that was probably the case, and he's shown that to be the case, and that's indicated to a pretty extreme level with the fact that he got it took him three pitches to retire, retire deciding the ninth on Saturday. Yeah, pitched, pitched two and two-thirds, um, 16 strikes on 22 total pitches, retiring all eight um, batters, as I mentioned, not allowing a base run. Also got his first career save. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, obviously, he started at Missouri. So, so. there's no <laughs> opportunities to get a save, really. So, yeah, his first career save as well. So, a big night for Seth Halverson. Is it safe to say, you kind of just touched on it, but is it safe to say Seth Halverson has surprised you thus far? Yeah, I mean, not shocked me, but surprised me, yeah. I thought he'd be good, but I didn't know. Especially, you know, he, obviously the injury was last year, and there wasn't a ton of doubt that he'd be back, but it wasn't like he had a full off season. It wasn't like he was full go in the fall. Um, so... He's had to work back into things, and I wouldn't have been surprised to see him be a little rusty to start. And not that maybe that was my expectation for him to be rusty, but it also wasn't my expectation expectation for him to be as crisp as he's been here. Mm-hmm. Two outings and, and two pretty long outings into the into the year too. Yeah, and the first one against good competition. Yeah, too. yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Um, so yeah, Sunday pitching. Moving on, Drew Beam was once again Sunday Beam, even though he took a comebacker off the thigh. Um, there early on, and it was a little scary. Like it, I, th- I can't remember who talked. To, I think it was Elander post game said it kind of, you know, made everyone flashback to Dolander against Alabama last yeah. year. It certainly did for me in the press box. I was, Same. It, I didn't. I thought it hit him in the knee at first. I did too. And and you kind of notice like when <laughs> it's like, it was like he was shocked why he hit. He's like, oh, I'm fine. And then he sat back down, and you're like, oh, B may be hurt, but he turned out to be fine. So the resiliency from Drew Beam to come back from that and just be. Totally dominant on Sunday, only allowing one hit, three walks, had four strikeouts, but you know, j- just another dominant from Drew Beam in a five and a third. Certainly, and I think the two things that stood out, and one I guess I would add to the stat line, you know, one hit was the ball that came back and hit him. You know, what I mean, like it was, that was the one time he got hit. So there's not a whole yeah. lot like, he gave up. Oh yeah, hit, that so there, that was the hit he gave up. Right? Yeah, so there's not a whole lot you can do about that. I, I think the two things that stood out was how he responded. He retired what I believe was the last eight batters he faced, seven or eight batters he, I think it was eight uh, batters he faced mm-hmm. after getting hit by hit by that line drive. And then two, the fact that Drew Beam is, he's a strike thrower. Like that's what makes him so good is his ability to pound the strike zone. And he really wasn't great there. I mean, you said, you mentioned the three walks and he was in a lot of three ball counts as well. Like he didn't, he wasn't crisp for, by Drew Beam standards at least. He mm-hmm. wasn't super crisp, and despite that, and obviously Staten's not the best lineup in the world, but despite that, he was able to work through and be really effective when he wasn't at his best. And, uh, you know, the numbers probably won't really indicate that he wasn't as, at his best, and I think it's possible for Chase Burns or, or Chase Dolander to have a line pretty similar to what Drew Beam had and then be pretty close to their best, but that's just not the way Beam pitches. And for him to not have that crispness that he usually does have and still be really, really effective. Combine that with obviously taking the, the line drive and being really good after that, it was a, a very impressive outing. Yeah, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but as you said, Burns has kind of slimmed down. looks like Beam has gotten bigger. Yeah, it does. Like, he, he is making some really athletic plays defensively, too. He like, made a really good – it might have been the last out the last he got. Out. Yeah, 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 that's what I was thinking A really good defensive – mm-hmm. I don't even know if that was a bun or just a ball that didn't make – just a grounder. Yeah, just didn't yeah. make very good contact. He fired it. Yeah, he did. It up. That was a really impressive play. Yeah, so, I mean, this starting rotation, we could talk about how dominant they are, but, yeah, I mean, it's nothing new. They are who they are, and they took care of subpar competition just very easily this weekend. Yeah. and That's I, pretty much it. I think you'll can, we'll continue to see that the next, next two weeks before they head to Missouri. Absolutely, and the bullpen on Sunday, 
obviously got a, more guys' arms because you had to. It was Sunday. You were running out of time, right? And, and it was they were shutting them out, and Tennessee was doing a good job handling Dayton, powered by that full-run second inning, taking a 5-0 lead after two. But Kirby Cannell uh, got two-thirds, taking over for Beam, getting two quick outs. And then we saw Zach Joyce, Jacob Bimby, Bryce Jenkins, and Andrew Lindsay. Zach Joyce once again doing really well. Um, did he strike out the side in order? He did. He struck out the side. Oh, no, sorry. He, he retired the side in order. No strikeouts. It was, it was a little bit of different. We have seen Zach Joyce throw multiple strikeouts, but it was a different kind of inning. Still good command from Joyce. And then Bimby allowed a hit. Maybe he was the worst of the bullpen arms, but we didn't see him a lot. Only threw nine pitches. And then Jenkins and Lindsey closed it out. Takeaways from the Sunday bullpen. Well, I think one, it was no surprise to see them get a bunch of guys in because they really didn't the first two games of that series. Um, I would say, and again, it's not, it's eight games in the season, so I don't mean to hit the panic button on it, but, you know, I think Jacob Bimby has probably been, if there's one guy in the bullpen, I'd say he's been disappointing to this point, it would be him. And it's not that he's been bad, but he just hasn't been, he hasn't been super crisp. Uh, yeah, and he has not as, not as good as the others, right? Not as good as the others. Yeah, it's a good way Even of putting going it. going to Aaron Combs or someone like that. Yeah. Right? And I thought it was impressive the way that, and not that it's shocking. It's not like he's a true freshman, but Jenkins coming in after him, runner on third, one out, gets out of a jam and preserves a, preserves a shutout. And I, I think what – I don't know how many people will remember this, but you go back to the 2021 series at South Carolina, game three, last game in the regular season, series on the line. It is Sean Hundley on the mounds, forgetting the South Carolina batter's name, real good lefty hitter, best mm-hmm. guy in their lineup, runner on second, two outs like full count maybe two two and he's just it's just Sean Hunley fastball 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 he refused to throw the off speed and he finally got a strikeout and got out of the inning that's what Bryce Jenkins looked like <laughs> he spiked a, a breaking ball on a two two count and got it three two and then he just went back fastball 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 at a lefty lefty did a pretty good job I think he was a freshman is what Josh Elander said fouled a bunch of them off finally gets it past him so that was good Kirby Cannell looked like the guy you'd expect uh I would say um, that's oh, I'm blanking. Uh, who closed it out? Andrew Lindsay. Andrew Lindsay. Yeah, that was other, my final thought. Andrew Lindsay wasn't. We talked about it on the podcast after Desert Invitational. wasn't very crisp in his debut. He looked a lot better. He looked more polished. He pounded the strike zone, and certainly, I think Joyce. He didn't have the strikeouts, but once again, good command. Yeah. yeah, as long as Joyce is throwing strikes, he's going to be good. So, and you know, naturally, everyone's going to compare Zach Joyce to Ben Joyce. Of course, Zach doesn't have the speed, but I think he may have better command. Like Ben was a little erratic there, especially yeah. non-conference play. Yeah, no, certainly. And he's Joyce. Zach Joyce has been really, really good with his command in, I guess, three outings to this point because he threw against Alabama A and M too. So, uh, we talked about it. I think on that preview podcast, that Lindsey Joyce and Halverson kind of felt like. Similar guys in the fact they haven't pitched in a while. They got high velocity fastballs, tall right-handed arms. Halverson and Joyce, I think, have been any, everything you could have wanted. And while Lindsey's struggled in his first appearance against Grand Canyon, not that circumstances were all the best for him in that. It wasn't all on him, but he came back and, and had a good outing against Dayton. So I think it's hard not to be really positive about what Tennessee's gotten from kind of those high-powered right-handed arms out of the bullpen. Absolutely. And two arms that have yet to see time, a righty and a lefty are Camden Sewell, and Wyatt Evans, both are still sore, according to the coaching staff. And, you know, Ryan, we've spent this whole podcast, uh, this first 24 minutes of the podcast, talking about how great this bullpen is. I mean, there's no rush to get these guys back. I mean, until SEC play. Yeah, no, I think you'll see them before SEC play. So they're not trying to break up or dust off all the rust, dust 
I guess I don't think that's a saying, but if you're listening, you probably understand what I'm saying. <laughs> in SEC play, but you're right. There's no rush. I'll be curious. I plan on asking Tony Vitello about that today. Uh, see where those guys are at. We know Camden Sewell. Sewell was less of a concern because you just know who he is. Yeah. To me, Wyatt and Wyatt Evans is more of a question mark because there still feels like there's a lot of competition with his left-handed bullpen arms. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of innings out there that someone's going to get. And Kirby Cannell is really the only one at this point where I feel confident saying like, yeah, he's going to get a lot of innings. Yeah, he has to. Right. Yeah, he's he's definitely going to. But behind him, I still think there's a lot of questions of which left-handed. And not that there's going to be a ton of innings to go, but there are going to be weekend innings to be found there. And I certainly think still really high on Wyatt Evans and think there's a, a chance that he could be it. But yeah, he's again, he's not like Cam- Camden Sewell's pitched in the SEC in high leverage outings for four years. Wyatt Evans hasn't really ever. I mean, he got maybe an inning or two here and there in the some blowout SEC games last year. Yeah, I think he got an inning or two in the tournament as well. Yeah, yeah. but – We'll see. It feels more like he needs to get back before SEC play and get some innings under his belt before you can expect him to be polished and really good in SEC play. Also, um, yeah, who was I going to talk about? Um, Wyatt Evans, yes. Oh, Xander Seekers didn't throw this weekend. Started the midweek Wednesday, yeah. but didn't throw this weekend. Where do you think he fits in? I mean, it, that's a good question. I mean, they the coaching staff has talked about how he's going to be a weekend guy, but I just don't know. He's, I mean, again, it just goes back to what we were just talking about yeah. with those left-handed arms. Like after Kirby Cannell, there's opportunities. See, Chris can maybe be one of those guys. I, he's not the definitive one. He's in that competition. I was a little bit surprised you didn't see him in that. Um, it'll be interesting. I think, in a lot of ways. He's such a security blanket for the midweek games of just knowing he can go out and throw four or five innings and be really effective that I think they like having him there. I, I would just be curious to see how much he throws mm-hmm. in the midweek this week. Yeah. Because I think it would be telling if he throws like more three or more innings. That yeah, that's yeah. probably where his role is going to be. But, again, I think it, it depends on Wyatt Evans. It depends on a lot of other guys. But, you know, he's really solid and certainly is a guy I think that's capable of helping him there. I don't think he has the highest ceiling of the left-handed Left-handed arms. Also didn't see Jake Fitzgibbons. That's another guy yes. that I think has a did, really high ceiling there. Did he throw in the midweek? He did throw in the midweek. Tuesday? I think it was Tuesday. Yeah, it was early. Because it's been a while, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's been a have played four and a half <laughs> games since then. So, right. uh, But neither of those guys throwing, I thought, was at least interesting this weekend. Um, but, yeah, those two, Bimby, Wyatt Evans, who feels like you have like maybe one and a half guys of those guys that are going to get – Bullpen or SEC, you know, innings. One of those guys probably consistently, and then another one kind of being a fringe guy that gets some opportunities but isn't a consistent SEC guy. And I don't know. There's a lot of competition there, and I don't really feel like I myself have a good feel for for who it's going to be, and I'm not really sure the coaching staff does either, honestly. Absolutely. Well, that'll we'll move on from the pitching staff after that. Talk about a lot of guys. As Tennessee has a lot of arms, and that's just how it is right now. Everyone's kind of feeling themselves out. Um, certainly coaching staff feeling their staff out, their pitching staff out before SEC play comes up here in about a week and a half, two, two and a half weeks. Yeah, right? two, two and a half, half weeks. weeks. Two more weekend. Gonzaga and uh, Morehead State. That's right. All right, now moving on to the outfield competition, the other interesting storyline from Tennessee baseball so far. We saw some steady rotation this weekend, Ryan. I mean, Dylan Dryling got to start Saturday at left field on down in the lineup, and then Hunter Inslee at center field on Sunday. Kyle Booker did not start either Saturday or Sunday. Your thoughts on how Tennessee managed their outfield rotation this weekend? 
it's interesting. Uh, and it feels pretty confident saying, I mean, we talked about it with the top, top seven guys in the lineup. Griffin Merritt, Jared Dickey, they're going to be starting just about every game. And right. I would say usually in the outfield, maybe occasionally DH, but usually in the outfield. And, and to me, just the question is, who's, who, who's, who plays center field? Who's the center fielder? To me, that's the question. I, d- I don't know the answer. It yeah. feels like they're trying a bunch of different things there, and certainly Dickey has played there some. I think he can hold up there at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. I'm not sure about some of the bigger ballparks in the league. It's it just not that he's been bad, but... Well, you mentioned his speed early. He's just not as yeah, fast. He's not as fast. and He's <laughs> he's a UT. I mean, he's a utility man. Mm-hmm. He, was, he came into Tennessee weighing, what, 275 pounds? So wasn't playing a whole lot of center field in high school, and he didn't play any... He hasn't played any center field before really just preseason practice. Now, he didn't really even play any center field in the fall because he spent more time at catcher before he had that hand injury. So yeah. it's just a little bit foreign to him. I'm not saying he couldn't do it in time, but it just doesn't seem like a super reliable option, and it just doesn't feel like there's been anybody that's kind of separated themselves at that spot or, or grabbed the reins. And I wrote about it. I I think the best thing for this team would be Kyle Booker taking the reins of that spot. But he's got to be a better bat. Yeah, he's got to be more, more consistent. consistent. Yeah, he just he just has too many bat, really bad at bats, and yeah. feels like he presses in a lot of yes. big opportunities. Yeah, he pressed certainly on Friday, and I think, I mean, obviously, I don't know if what what the reason was. I, I assume is just to get other guys time on Saturday and Sunday, especially after the night Kyle Booker had Friday. But you know, Dylan Dryling is a guy who of these freshmen has saw the most time, yeah. seen the most time uh, in the outfield and at the plate. Coaching staff loves him. He's got power. He's got speed. I think he hit a triple the other day that didn't even reach the back wall. So maybe Dylan Dryling is the guy that's going to separate himself. We haven't seen him start at center, though, so it'd have to something would have to give with Jared Dickey playing at center or, you know, what have you. But maybe Dylan Dryling is this guy that will continue to separate himself as non-conference play progresses. Yeah, I mean, he's looked really good. And I think it's obviously really easy to see the talent, easy to see how high the ceiling is. I just don't know that – again, I just don't think that's a guy that's super comfortable in center field. I mean, we heard mm. – I don't think he started there yet either. No, he hasn't has started he there. Has played out there? I don't think he's even played in the center. Yeah. And I don't remember – again, I, it could have happened. They moved guys around so much in the fall. But I don't remember seeing him there a lot in the fall. And I remember Jared Dickey saying when we talked to him before the season, we asked him about the freshman. He was like, yeah, Dylan was a guy who needed to do a lot of work on his fielding. And after the fall, and he, you know, he did a good job. I think he made a comment about you know being from Kansas. It's not too fun to be out there in December, but you could tell he put his work in. But mm-hmm. Yeah, a guy that needed to put the work in in the outfield probably isn't a guy you're going to feel super comfortable starting in center field. So, really, neither of those freshmen. You know, maybe. You know, obviously, they're still young. There's still a lot of room for growth, and they have really high ceilings. So, I wouldn't completely rule it out. But again, it doesn't feel like a I have any sort of confidence that either of those guys are going to be able to develop into a starting center fielder every single day. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's Hunter Inslee. Maybe Reese Chapman works himself into the outfield rotation. I know you're high on him moving forward. And he's certainly seen time, just not as much as the other guys like Inslee and Dryling. And, you know, it's very interesting because this kind of all depends on who starts at catcher because if Charlie Taylor starts at catcher, say, two days out of the weekend, then Cal Stark's going to DH, which means Jared Dickey has to start in the outfield. But if Cal Stark is starting at catcher, Dickey can DH, and then they can – we have two – Tennessee has two spots available in the outfield. Yeah, 100%. it kind of all depends on who starts at catcher, right? Yeah, no, it, it that definitely does. And you're, I don't know that I would say that Cal Stark, you know, like just naturally my first thought is. You don't is, think he's a definitive DH if he's not starting at catcher? Yeah, that's my first thought. But 
I mean, he's basically DH every game he hasn't started. Yeah. So far, I guess outside the midweeks last week, I don't think he DH'd in both those games. But so there certainly is a lot of confidence in him right now, and he's been good in that spot. So it feels like more times than not, he's he's going to be DHing if he's not starting at catcher. And so you're right, and that certainly limits the competition uh, or or limits people's options and opportunities for some of those guys, Christian Scott, both the freshmen. Hunter Hensley, yep. Kyle Booker, but uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see. Well, we talked about in our preview that maybe Cal Stark starts two of the three weekend games over Charlie Taylor. Catcher, yeah. we haven't seen that so far, and for good reason, because Charlie Taylor's bat is vastly different than it was last year. I mean, this guy already has two home runs on the season. He had zero last year, and they both came in the same game. He had two hits last year. Yeah, two hits, right. Same amount of home runs he has hit so far. And he has six hits on the season now with the two homers he hit against Alabama A&M on Wednesday in that 23-1 to drubbing Tennessee handed the Bulldogs. So if Charlie Taylor is actually a decent bat, then you – I mean, if, if, you, if Cal Stark continues to do well and Charlie Taylor continues to do well, you want to get both of those guys in the lineup because Charlie Taylor's the better defensive catcher. Yes, and to me it goes – you know, part of it's kind of like, all right, let's see what he can do against better competition. Because he wasn't great hitting. I guess he did have a hit against Grand Canyon. But he wasn't great in either of his first two games. Yeah. But at the same time, he he was the midweek. You know, it wasn't like he was facing good competition last year when he couldn't hit. Right. It wasn't like he couldn't hit against. I mean, he was facing the Alabama a yeah. of the world, and he would pop up or fly out every single time. It wasn't like he was facing Vanderbilt. So he is clearly better. And how much that carries over, how much. How how good can he be against SEC teams is still a remaining question, but there's reason to believe that he can be uh, a lot more solid. Can you know, and if he can hit 240 against SEC teams, he's going to start a lot of games because he's really good defensively. And mm-hmm. you know, it's I think that Alabama A&M game was huge for him when he hit almost hit for the cycle, except for yeah. he hit two home runs instead of a double. He, he needed a little less power on that. He cycle. needed a little <laughs> less, yes, exactly, because like you know, I talked about in the preview, he, his bat has looked better and scrimmages and stuff like that. Like, he looked better in fall. But there's still so much difference of, all right, I did it well in fall. I did it well in scrimmages. Can I go out there and do it in games? And I think that's just a huge confidence boost for him to see that success. And, again, it's not like he needs to see that success against Vanderbilt because he didn't see that success against Alabama A&M last year. Um, so he's been a lot better. That's a, a really positive development. He's if he can just not be an absolute liability in, in the lineup, he's going to start a lot because he's better defensively. He's better. He's good defensively, and yeah. he's he's had some really good plays defensively already this season. I think he's caught two or three runners stealing and, and had some really impressive throws doing so. So that's a big development for Tennessee. And I think it's the most interesting storyline of the season so far. I mean, on the field, yeah. As far as yeah, right. yeah, not that, excluding pitching. Yeah. Yes, I would say even pitching is probably the most. Most interesting development. Yeah. At least be. the most most surprising. Again, it's eight games in. They played two weekend but series and two midweeks. you see this dude just freaking demolishing a ball into the uh, second level of the left yeah. field porches, you're like, what happened to Charlie Taylor? <laughs> what have you done, sir? Brian Erlacher. This, yes. He is not Brian Erlacher this season. He's going to need a new nickname from Tony V. But, yeah, Charlie Taylor, definitely a pleasant surprise for Tennessee baseball so far, and he's definitely making that whole conversation very interesting. Talking about some deeper guys who have gotten ABs, especially Kavars Tears and Ryan Miller. Of course, Kavars Tears didn't get an AB last year, redshirted, 
um, backup first baseman outfielder, but he's gotten a couple of DH at-bats. And then Ryan Miller, same way. I think he's had a couple innings at catcher. Of course, he's kind of the third-string catcher there. Just your thoughts on these guys, and, man, they have a lot of power, and maybe they're guys we should be considering that could start at DH any given day. Yeah, tears to me especially. I mean, tears came in as a freshman last year. It was just raking in fall. Couldn't play anywhere in, he couldn't play anywhere in the field, and certainly there was the lineup last year was so good you knew he wasn't going to be a major part, and he redshirted, but his bat's really good. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's an impressive bat, and he's a guy that down the road I would not be surprised, not this season, but in a year, in two years, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's an everyday starter. Obviously, yep. finding that position of consistency is going to be, will be the question for him long term, but yeah, I mean, I don't see why he can't get some DH starts, and, and certainly I would think he'd be one of Tennessee's first pinch hit guys or, or candidates, and then Ryan Miller. He had a home run in his first career at bat to give us the, the run rule walk-off on Tuesday against Alabama a He's a saint for that. He is he is a saint for that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Tony Vitello talks about it all the time. Ryan Miller is one of the best – taking batting practice, he's, he's one of the best guys on the team that stands out. So he has some serious pop. Um, he's two of three so far at the plate, two RBIs and a double and a homer. Yeah. I don't Pretty see good. his opportunities being – like I see a, a clearer path to tears getting opportunities than I do Ryan Miller, but – Again, young prospect, redshirt, just like Terry's redshirt freshman. Yeah, um, We'll see how he improves down down the road. And to me, really, the big question will be how much he can improve as a defensive catcher because that's his big weakness right now. He's not very good defensively. And if he can become a pretty good defensive catcher, then I think in a couple of years he's going to have a chance to be a starter because his bat's certainly good enough. Right. And moving on down the line, um, not so much talking offensively, but he did hit a home run, and that's kind of why I'm bringing him up too. But a guy who's made a couple of good plays at shortstop, serving as the backup to Austin Jaslov. Now, of course, we'll hardly ever see time at shortstop, but still, um, Jake Kendrow, not a bad start yeah. to the season for the freshman. Um, maybe he's a guy that, you know, I, I really think Maui Hoon is going to crush any further big opportunities Kendrow is going to get, but maybe he's a guy who can see some midweek time. Yeah, midweek time. Uh Really, either middle infield spot, and you're right, he hit the home run. But to me, what's his flashes, his gloves been really good. I mm-hmm. mean, that play he made in game three of the Dayton series was a really, really impressive yes. play. Uh, moving to his left and kind of throwing against his body. So he is just a true freshman, too, and he's a good looking athlete. So uh, it's certainly been some positives with him so far. Also, had the LOL moment of the week hitting that home run that was originally ruled foul, ruled fair after further review over there in left field. And then he did a pretend at bat swing look into the sun at the home run bat flip so it was a whole whole ordeal there that certainly made Dayton a little mad but definitely an lol moment for Jake Kendra yeah and no, that was funny and, and even Josh Elander said he's like I wasn't a huge fan a huge fan <laughs> of it either um but yeah no that that was he, I mean, that's fit, Tennessee baseball yeah he'll fit right in is yeah. what I was about to say so exactly yeah no, that was funny and, and certainly Tony Vitello talks about it all the time those getting those first out of the way he gets his first home run out of the way yeah and I didn't mention this yet on the podcast but uh Cal Stark is going to be one of these guys, I think, that embodies that Tennessee baseball personality. Um, definitely given the umpire an earful a couple of times on some at-bats. Um, Jared Dickey said he reminded him of Drew Gilbert, so this is a guy that I think will fit right into that Tennessee baseball mold. Yeah, he's got to be. He's got to watch out with the umpire stuff. If you're a, if you're the catcher, you can't be. Yeah, sure. You can't be barking during your at-bats at the umpire. I mean, Evan Russell was one of the best in the world about that, chatting up, chatting up the umpire, becoming buddy buddy with him. That's, uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's, totally an ele- right. that's an element to it, and you certainly you're not doing your pitchers any favors by by chewing out the umpire in your at bats. Right. Well, moving forward, uh, two midweek games. This is the last week we have a midweek series, if you will. I think uh, in yeah. the season, just the first two weeks, and it's going to be Charleston Southern Tuesday night, four thirty p.m. Eastern. That is tonight, and then tomorrow, four Eastern, 
against Charleston Southern. Anything you're looking at in these midweeks outside of, of course, Mally Huna's debut? Just again, seeing the pitch, the pitching depth and looking at some of those younger guys. And I guess, you know, really specifically the left-handed pitchers because just what we talked about, there's still a ton of competition there. So it'll be interesting to see that again. Can Charlie Taylor continue his success? Um, again, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't really matter at this point. It doesn't really matter to the opponent because he wasn't doing it against bad teams last year. So yeah, uh, those two things. And I think that's really see everybody had their eyes on Blake Burke when he was hitting just because it's, oh, yeah, we, it's must. We didn't give Blake Burke enough love on this podcast. My goodness. What a weekend. <laughs> what a Sunday. Yeah. Two homers. Just... A line drive homer over Batters High in center field. And yeah. he just flicked he just flicked one into the second deck. They were shifting him. Yeah. yeah, they were shifting him. Uh-huh. And obviously it didn't matter because he hit a home run, but he hit the home run well further to left field than the shift the shift was. Like it would have dropped for an easy double if it landed, you know, ten yards short of the wall. So I think it's um if he you know Luke Lipsius is of course the home run king for Tennessee baseball with forty. If Blake Burke ends up having the same amount of at bats Luke Lipsius yeah. did, it's ninety one. Good stat for Mike, Will, Mike yes. Wilson. Yeah, I mean, I it's to me it's more likely that he, unless he just gets some like super serious injury at some point in his career that sidelines him for like, I mean, yeah, he's a half guy. a season. It would be more surprising for me to see him not become the home run record by the time he leaves than it would be to see him get it as a sophomore. Okay. Gotcha. So you think he, he could definitely get it this year? I mean, what does he need? Twenty seven this year? I think twenty seven would be the, he had the tie. 14. Well, he had fourteen his first year, so I think he just is it. If I think it's forty one, not forty. Are you sure? I thought it was forty for forty. I thought that was the thing, because Luke Lipsy is four forty. Well, I think he maybe he got it at that because he got it with Evan Russell, and oh, then he okay. went over. I think he ended up forty one. Gotcha. Okay. And that's not my pick. I wouldn't pick Blake Burke to hit twenty seven home runs this season. I'm I just mean, saying yeah. that's more likely than he, than him not hitting twenty seven more home runs in his career. Right. No. My prediction is he he gets it by the end of February next season. So okay. for the first ten games or whatever. End of February next season. Yeah. Before first, SEC play starts yes. in twenty twenty four. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. Blake Burke's the unit, and you know that's that. He's best hitter on best power hitter on Tennessee baseball. Moving forward. Talking about this weekend series, just a little look ahead, not much. Gonzaga has had a brutal schedule. I don't know if you've taken a look at it, but my goodness, they got swept in, I guess what you call a four-game series against Texas Tech. Then they went to Phoenix, just like Tennessee did, um, split a pair of games against Ohio State. The win was in extra innings, and then they lost both their games against Grand Canyon. Had to play a doubleheader on that Friday after an extra innings game against Ohio State. Lost to Grand Canyon. So Gonzaga is just a brutal stretch, and now... (laughs) <laughs> they come to Knoxville to play Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, wow. that's tough. <laughs> um, NCAA tournament team, I really think the last couple of years, and they've been, you know, like a three seed in some of these regionals. So it's a good program. I do think they're, they are going to be a little down this year. They lost some of their pitching uh, from last season. But it, it's after, you know, Grand Canyon and Arizona, it's the hardest team Tennessee's going to play before SEC play starts. So I think it, it's certainly – a series that you have a keen eye on in a lot on in a lot of ways, and it wouldn't be surprising to see them lose a game. But to me, I want to I want to see them get the sweep. Like that's how. What can you do to kind of wash out the bad taste and out of people's mouth from that those first two games of the season? I think it's just be really consistent. The lesson rest in non conference play, and this is their hardest test. And I think that would be a good example or a good showing of consistency. Mm-hmm for them to get a sweep this weekend because we know this team has talent. Like we know this team's really good, but it's like yeah. how consistent can they be with all the new pieces is the question mark. And I think this would be a good sign. 
I mean, if Seth Halverson was a little off, they could have lost Saturday against Dayton with the way Tennessee's yeah. offense was playing. We didn't talk about it because we focused on mostly the positives in this podcast, but, man, they stranded the bases loaded again on Saturday against Dayton, and then they did it Tuesday against Alabama and That's twice in the past yeah. week. Tennessee stranded the bases loaded. Can't do that against SEC play. You're going to get bit. No, 100%. I mean, that's it goes back to what we talked about on the pod, the last podcast about needing to be better in those mm-hmm. situations this year because you don't have the room for error that you did last year. Right. Yeah, so you, you'll definitely want to see a Tennessee series sweep over Gonzaga. I, I probably would say it's probably going to happen given Tennessee will be back at full force. Maybe if there was some you know, some uncertainty still with Ahuna or Tony V going into this weekend, maybe you could see something uh, like a Tennessee loss. But Tennessee at full force now, you, you're going to expect them to roll um, considering what we've seen in the last five games, certainly. Um, well, Ryan, um, starting times this weekend, 6.30, and one a little later. First pitches on Friday and Saturday, a little later nights for us. Yeah, but permanent now. That's uh, yeah. We get those first two weeks of the early ones because of the weather, and really the weather's been nice. But uh, those are those are gone for us now, and obviously I'll be there on Friday night, but then headed to Auburn on Saturday, so nice. you'll be there to hold down the fort uh, on Saturday night and then uh, turn around again on Sunday. Absolutely. And a reminder, guys, always follow along with RTI's live update feed. Um, it's free. No no. No payment necessary to follow along with our live feed at Rock Top Insider during Tennessee baseball games. Of course, a lot of these early season games are only SEC Network Plus, so you know some people cannot watch it, um, don't have that luxury to watch it, but you can definitely follow along with our live update feed as, as well as our Twitter feed for every game we got you covered all the way through. Ryan, I guess that'll do it for this uh, Rock Top Insider special edition baseball podcast. That's all I got. All right. Um, Well, I will see you later, my friend, and uh, everybody, be well on this fabulous Tuesday.